What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. The music you're hearing is the Ukrainian National Anthem. I'm going to use that as the intro for this episode, this special episode about Ukraine through the lens of the Middle East, and you'll also hear it at the end of the episode. A lot's been percolating about the Middle East reaction to the invasion of and the attack on Ukraine. I want to weigh in here because I think some people are judging countries in the Middle East through the lens of the United States and through the lens of Europe, and neither of these are appropriate. No country in the Middle East has the heft and power of the United States, so judging any country there as if they could act like the United States is wrong. Judging any country in the Middle East by the actions of Europe is equally wrong. This conflict is in Europe. President Putin has launched the largest ground war in Europe since World War II, and it has the potential to spill over Ukraine's borders, causing even more hardship, suffering, displacement, chaos, and disaster throughout Europe. It's easy for armchair diplomats to criticize leaders for acting too slowly or saying that their actions are not as strong as people would like. After all, what's happening in Ukraine is so terrible for so many reasons. The idea that in 2022, a country, a leader, can think that it's okay to invade another country, seek to topple its government and take the country over, shocks people. And it should. And while I do think that the Biden administration was too slow to react when this started about a week ago, The reaction's been getting appropriately stronger, and I think it will have to grow stronger still, as I don't see President Putin stopping based on what has been thrown his way so far. But the Middle East is a different place. Just about each country in the Middle East lives, on a daily basis, with threats and dangers that we can't understand or estimate. And Russia is entangled in those threats and dangers in a way that only the leaders in those countries can truly evaluate and understand. Israel, for example, has had to deal with a method to deconflict with Russia over Syria, as Iran has been embedding itself in Syria as a place to launch serious attacks on Israel for years now. And whether we like it or not, the lifeblood of just about every country, family, and business in the world revolves around energy. And we can't pretend that any country in the Middle East can ignore this. Many of the countries in the Middle East need time for a deep, thoughtful analysis as to how to proceed, no matter how much they may stand with the people of Ukraine and against Russia's invasion. And that analysis, and the steps they take, will change over time, as will those, by the way, of the United States and Europe as events unfold. This is a constantly moving target. When it comes to energy, according to Qatar's energy minister, Russia provides 30-40% to of the supply to Europe. No single country can replace that kind of volume. And there isn't the capacity to do that from liquefied natural gas. So there are many things that the countries in the Middle East have to consider in terms of standing by Ukraine, but also protecting themselves, their citizens, and the world's energy markets. Today there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that described how, from the Persian Gulf's oil-rich monarchies to Israel, U.S. allies and partners are staying neutral or tempering their criticism of Moscow in a revealing sign of Russia's growing influence in the region. 
The Wall Street Journal is not alone in this observation, though I think it's incorrect to describe the influence as a growing influence. Russia has been active and influential in this volatile region for quite some time. As I read and listen to these observations and the criticism about how some of the countries in the Middle East are acting too slowly or not forcefully enough, I think we should take a step back and respect the complexity of the Middle East and give these countries the space to work through their issues. Let's also not pretend that the United States isn't making its own calculations about our response to this invasion of Ukraine. Though the United States gets only 5 to 10% of its crude oil and refined products from Russia, so far the sanctions imposed on Russia do not include oil and gas exports, which would significantly hurt Russia's bottom line. Let's not ignore that we too make choices that make sense for us Americans, even as we rightly stand by Ukraine. Let's talk about choices the United States makes. Because we, and really every country in the world, have no choice but to recognize reality, right? I'm not prone to quoting Senator Bernie Sanders because I disagree with so much of what he says, so much of his policy. But in a speech he made in the Senate on February 10th, before the invasion, he makes an important point. I don't agree with all the remarks in his speech, but take a listen to this. Here's Senator Sanders. Mr. President, Vladimir Putin may be a liar and a demagogue, but it is hypocritical for the United States to insist that we, as a nation, do not accept the principle of spheres of influence. For the last 200 years, our country has operated under the Monroe Doctrine, embracing the principle that as the dominant power in the Western Hemisphere, the United States has the right, according to the United States, to intervene against any country that might threaten our alleged interests. That's United States policy. And under this doctrine, the United States has undermined and overthrown at least a dozen countries throughout Latin America, Central America, and the Caribbean. I agree with Senator Sanders that it's hypocritical that we don't operate without taking into account spheres of influence and that the U.S. has the right to intervene when its interests are threatened. So I think even Senator Sanders would agree that Israel, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and others can take into account their own interest and the threats that they face, even if they want to support Ukraine. I think we have to give them the space to support Ukraine within the framework within which they operate. I also want to point out that I hope Senator Sanders realizes that if he wants to be intellectually honest, then his remarks equally apply to Israel when it defends itself against the terrorist Hamas in Gaza, and of course Hezbollah in Lebanon, both Iran proxies, as well as Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, both of whom are being attacked by Houthi terrorists, also Iran proxies. I think if you take his words literally, and I think he should think about this the next time he criticizes our friends and allies in the Middle East, these countries have the right to intervene when they are threatened. And indeed, they are threatened. Rockets come from Gaza into Israel. They cause damage. They kill people. We need to respect the right of these countries to defend themselves. According to an article in Axios by Barack Ravid, a senior Biden administration official told Ravid that the U.S. understands Israel's interests regarding Russia and Syria, but, it's a big but here, after Russia invaded Ukraine, U.S. officials urged Israel to take a clear stance and be on the right side of the issue. According to Ravid, the official said, we told the Israelis that this is a moment of right and wrong. 
Like, that's really easy for a superpower like the United States to say to a small country like Israel. Oh, I don't know for sure, likely the U.S. made similar comments to others in the Middle East. I think it's very disingenuous and really arrogant for the U.S. to make this demand out of Israel and perhaps some of the other countries there. The Biden administration doesn't have to tell Israel or the others how to distinguish between right and wrong. In fact, sometimes the U.S., and in particular the Biden administration, doesn't itself know how to distinguish between right and wrong, or even when they know what's right and wrong, they don't act accordingly. As we can understand from Senator Sanders' comments, and I guess it feels really odd, weird to me to use Senator Sanders to bolster my argument, but there are other issues at play when it comes to national security and other issues for a country, including spheres of influence. So let's let these countries in the Middle East make their own decisions in their own time. I know they know the difference between right and wrong. Let's not make unrealistic demands out of them. That same Wall Street Journal article speaks about how Saudi Arabia rebuffed U.S. requests to pump more oil to help tame surging crude prices. Maybe President Biden needs to rethink his strategy when it comes to Saudi Arabia, the strategy he used both during the presidential campaign and during his administration. He was disrespectful to Saudi Arabia and the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, and he's not doing enough to support Saudi Arabia's own challenges, including frequent attacks by Iran-funded Houthi terrorists, yes, let's use that word, Uti terrorists, who attack Saudi Arabia from Yemen. That same article points out that the United Arab Emirates ignored U.S. lobbying and abstained from a U.N. Security Council resolution condemning the Russian invasion. I don't know the inside baseball on this, but again, perhaps President Biden wants to rethink his strategy when it comes to standing by the United Arab Emirates. Three people were killed and six wounded in a missile and drone attack by Houthi terrorists, again, let's say that out loud, Houthi terrorists on Abu Dhabi on January 17. Yes, it's true the Biden administration condemned those attacks, but those are just words. What is the U.S., what is the Biden administration really doing to help the UAE with these attacks? Of course, we should be forceful about Ukraine, enormously forceful, and we should do what we can to stop this vicious invasion and help the Ukrainian people. But let's not lose sight of also standing against evil, in this case, the Iran-funded terrorists who attack the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and others, and respect that these countries in the region have their own calculations to make. Serious national security calculations. Let's give them the time, the respect, and the space to work through these complex issues. And let's catch up here in any event. Today's vote at the United Nations showed the unity of most of the world, including our friends and allies in the Middle East. 94 countries co-sponsored the initiative of the Ukrainian ambassador to the United Nations, in which the ambassador called for a rare emergency session to adopt the resolution, though we should remember that the resolution is not legally binding. The United Nations voted 141 to 5. Let me say that again. 141 to 5 to condemn Russia's aggression against Ukraine. Who were the five who voted against it? Well, Belarus, no surprise there. North Korea, also no surprise. Eritrea, probably no surprise and very, very stupid on their part. Russia, I'm not even sure where they get to vote. And Syria, a country so broken that has faced so much tragedy and death. It shocks the mind that they would vote against it. But of course, it ties right back to the region. Russia is all over Syria. And let's not forget about the 35 abstentions, by the way. I think people should treat abstentions as a no vote and keep that in mind. I don't know why people pretend that an abstention is not a no vote. It's sort of a diplomatic dance that makes no sense. 
There's no reason not to treat those as no votes. Who are some that were abstentions? Cuba, China, Iran. Iran, the enemy of so many countries and others. As my friend and former colleague, Ambassador Nikki Haley, one of the strongest and smartest ambassadors to walk the halls at the United Nations once said, we should take names and remember those who voted against our interests. In the Middle East, Egypt, Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Oman, all voted in favor of the resolution. Because ultimately, they know what's right here. I hope that over time, some of these countries could help shape UN policy for what is right and just when it comes to Israel. But today's topic is Ukraine. Lena Nuseba in the United Nations started her remarks with an important point, that the conflict in Ukraine has reached a dangerous inflection point. No argument there. Many countries are now mobilized to help Ukraine. How far these countries will go to help Ukraine, including how far the United States will go, remains to be seen. And in a way, that's part of the problem for the Middle East countries. They all must be wondering, can they count on the United States and other countries to step in if they're attacked, whether by the Iranian regime and its terrorist proxies such as the Houthis, Hamas, and Hezbollah, or will they only get empty words of support and condemnations, but be left twisting in the wind beyond that? And if so, all the more reason for these countries to tread very carefully. The UAE's message at the UN also spoke about the responsibility of exhausting all efforts and using all diplomatic channels to prevent a further deterioration of the humanitarian situation. Nothing wrong with that, that's important. While the people of Ukraine are fighting for their lives to defend their country, their freedom, their way of life, there's nothing wrong with countries like the UAE, Israel, and others using back-channel diplomacy to see what, if anything, can be done to de-escalate, to slow down, to save lives, and maybe even, as unlikely as it may be, to stop this attack. Israel also has a lot to balance, with its important ties to Russia and coordinating its security operations in Syria. But as Foreign Minister Lapid said, Israel believes in upholding the international order and undeniably supports Ukraine, its sovereignty, and its territorial integrity. Frankly, I'm not a believer in the UN, and uh, that's to say it mildly. Among other reasons, this is because of the UN's dishonest, terribly biased, and irresponsible treatment of Israel. But I'm all for diplomacy in the background, in the hopes that it might save lives and delay or reduce danger, while at the same time using the realistic approach of supporting Ukraine with as much support as each country is willing to provide. Very strong sanctions, humanitarian aid, intelligence sharing, providing arms, and whatever else is possible. At the moment, the U.S., Europe, and others are saying that Ukraine must defend itself by itself in terms of boots on the ground. Undoubtedly, that weighs heavily on countries in the Middle East in terms of what might happen to them if they are ever attacked. And that's another reason we need to give the Middle East countries the time and the space to work through their challenges here. That doesn't mean they don't support Ukraine and the people of Ukraine. It doesn't mean they don't condemn Russia for the attacks, the invasion, the murder, the death, the destruction. But we do need to let them work through this carefully since their primary job is to protect their own country. Ultimately, I think the countries in the Middle East, such as the UAE, Israel, Bahrain, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, and others, will be on the right side of history here. They know what's just and right. But we have to give them the time and the space to carefully work through these complex issues to ensure they don't endanger their own citizens and residents and try to avoid other problems those that they can predict, and the unpredictable. And there's always the unpredictable. Over time, I think we're going to see significant aid coming from the region. 
Some examples from the last few days alone include the UAE pledge of $5 million to the United Nations Humanitarian Flash Appeal and an acknowledgement that over time more will be done. Israel has sent 100 tons of humanitarian aid shipped by three El Al airplanes. El Al is an airline I'm proud to serve as a board member of. Let me end this special episode by playing the end of Ambassador Nuseba's speech. It's a message we should all take to heart. What she's saying and what she's seeking may not be achievable today, but it's certainly something we should strive for deeply and daily. Here's Ambassador Naseba. I think her words are so important, even if perhaps they're only a goal, a dream, a hope, and the promise for a better future for us all. Resigning ourselves to a cycle of perpetual violence and sanctions that only adds to the suffering of civilians diminishes us all. We voted for this resolution, and we join with member states in making this appeal to peace. This text represents the determination of member states to respond to the conflict today in Ukraine. We must now turn to finding ways to bring about its peaceful resolution with full respect for and commitment to real and engaged diplomacy. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.